Hello and welcome from wherever you're listening to all our guests in America and in Europe. My name's Edwin Reese. This is episode four of Aussie Pets Podcast. Sit back and relax as we have our new guest, a specialist in multitude of different animals that are genuine Aussie pets. been lucky enough to uh, wrangle in an unusual vet not that he's unusual but his uh, interests and specialties are unusual and in Aussie Pets podcast we're looking to give people other options and knowledge so they can have pets other than just cats and dogs because there's just so much out there without uh, further rambling from myself I'm going to bring in the wise uh, vet who's coming in from the unusual pet vets good afternoon Shane Good afternoon, Edwin. How are you? I'm pretty excited to be alive, actually. Uh, <laughs> I, I stumbled across you, so, so to speak, in the internet. I'm trying to find interesting people with different specialties so that yep. the, the average punter who's got the same um, expectations of what a pet is, a cat and a dog, for example, can perhaps look at something more suitable. From yeah. your perspective, we'll get into that deeply, Firstly, can you just tell us a bit more about um, about Dr. Shane Superson yourself and how you came yeah. to the unusual pet vet? Yeah, um, so I, I've been in this caper a long time now, <laughs> pushing nearly 25 years. So I um, originally from Melbourne uh, and I, I did a couple of years of science and um, always wanted to be a vet since I was about six years old. and. Um, was lucky enough, uh, yeah, did a couple of years of science here at Melbourne University and then was lucky enough to get accepted into Queensland Uni. So I moved to Brisbane and lived up there for five years to go to vet school. And um, prior to that, as uh, growing up, I, I had a lot of uh, weird and wonderful pets. Um, I had axolotls and blue tongues. I actually had a lot of birds. Um, we had, the, we had the, the dog, we had the, the cat, that sort of stuff. But I was always into sort of weird things and uh, went to vet school, um, sort of put pet ownership on a bit of a hold there while I was doing that, just concentrating on study and, and that sort of stuff. And then uh, I was lucky enough once I graduated to come back and, and get a job here in, in Melbourne. And the practice that I, I got a job in is where I have now, uh, have been there so sort of 25 years, um, a place called Kringle Veterinary Hospital. And I was lucky enough, my boss at the time, who's now my business partner here, allowed me to uh, sort of develop an interest in the exotic pets. Um, and I, I started with some frogs out in the waiting room and then we got some bearded dragons and I started getting clients asking me whether I would see these animals. And I, uh, yeah, and this was you know, 20 years ago. So it was really not that common for vets to be seeing anything other than dogs and cats in, in the clinic. And I sort of said, oh yeah, no worries. I'll have a look at them. And um, I really enjoyed that. And um, that sort of caseload grew and grew and grew. And then um, uh, we used to get a lot of, we'll still get a lot of students um, through my small animal clinic here at Kringle Vet. And um, one of those was a young bloke by the name of James Haverfield, who at the time was a student over at Murdoch in Perth. And um, anyway, fast forward a couple of years and he'd, he'd graduated and he'd started his clinic over in Perth called the, the Unusual Pet Vets. And um, anyway, he, he was originally a Melbourne boy, so he, 
uh, he and his then or now wife um, decided they wanted to move back to Melbourne and they wanted to live on the Mornington Peninsula where, where I'm situated. And he rang me one day and said, would I be interested in going into business with him? And um, we had a, a bit of a chat and worked out that we were very closely aligned from a business point of view and, and what we wanted to achieve and that sort of stuff. And I was in the lucky situation where I also had a, a second veterinary clinic that was only sort of being half used. So we had a, an empty, half empty building that we were able to move into. And so uh, September 2018, I, I joined with him and we opened the Unusual Pet Vets in, in Melbourne to complement his two practices that he had opened up in Perth and, and a, a third um, third mate of ours, uh, Dr. Hamish Barron, joined us um, and uh, the rest is history. And since then, we've, we've opened another practice in Brisbane uh, with a, another mate of mine who does a lot of reptile work or did a lot of reptile work. He, he approached us and asked us if we'd be interested in opening a clinic up in, in Brisbane. And so now we have the, the four practices across the country and um, they're all, all going gangbusters at the moment. So... So I, I started off in, in really doing reptiles and, and my sort of, I guess, uh, persona on the internet and Facebook pages and those sort of things was the reptile doctor. And that's kind of now morphed into now being one of the partners in, in the unusual pet vets. And um, I'm sort of working sort of a few days a week doing the exotic side of stuff and unusual pet vets. And at the moment doing one day a week, still doing dog and cat uh, sort of stuff. But um slowly trying to phase myself out of that and, and um, eventually in the hopefully not too distant future, uh, I'll be just doing exclusively exotic pets. So well, that, that's, that's a bit of my, my history. That's fantastic. That's the that's almost a thesis you gave me there. Thank you. I'll, I'll check that yeah. out later. Well, it's, a, it's a convoluted uh, long history. I've been around a while and how I got here is, is sort of different. It's, it's funny, full circle. Um, mm. And um when I, when I, funny true stories, when I actually first started at Kringle Vet, four days after I graduated, I literally graduated, jumped in the car and drove back from Brisbane. And I actually started in the building that we are now in as far as the unusual pet vets. And in that time, we, we wow. moved into a purpose-built big clinic for the, for the small animal stuff. And then I've gone back into that clinic and um, full circle. Uh, it's that, amazing just... how sort of life has those sort of things. That's, that's wonderful because I'm sure that not only do people listen to me to find out about uh, specialists and places they can take their pets and animals to, but there's often a little boy out there, and perhaps one of those little boys was me 40 years ago, who dreamed of being a vet. Um, so, you know, that, that's quite exciting. So you've had a, a bit of a study. And James, the gentleman, he, the young fellow from WA, I, I had a look on your website, unusualpetvets.com dot com au so that's plural yep. unusual pet vets dot com and James was uh, furiously uh, explaining and and is just absolutely passionate about um, sexing rats which which, which was great <laughs> looking it was great viewing on a Saturday afternoon so uh, yeah. if, if the kitties are interested in in smaller animals then you know there's a lot out there a few keywords you threw out there that got me a little bit excited uh, one was axolotl so maybe yep. we'll just have a little chat about axolotl in a sec and the other thing yep. is um that you're treating reptiles which means that there must be a lot of people like reptiles i'd like your feedback on first the axolotl and then with yep. regards to reptiles or amphibians are they a good option if you've got a small apartment and, and do they have personality do they have character can you talk to them yeah um axolotls are one of my favorite um patients to deal with um and the axolotl people who own them are very passionate about them um 
they they're a very interesting animal from an ecology point of view they're they're pretty much extinct in the wild now they come from um lakes around mexico city uh that have that have pretty much got so polluted that they can't live in there anymore but there's such vast numbers of them in in captivity uh and um many people now have them as pets and and breed them and they're such a interesting animal um i i've i had them when i was yeah about sort of 10 years old till till i was about sort of 16 or 17 maybe 18 and um yeah they're pretty cool they come in lots of different colors now and they're quite easy to keep if you get things set up the right sort of way and um they're an interesting animal here in australia because we're not allowed to keep um exotic uh pets that are non-native pets so things like um um you know, axolotls are actually not native to Australia, but they were allowed into the country many years ago, and and now they're everybody, they're everywhere. So the the government can't sort of turn around and say, well, you've got to get rid of them. They're they're here. So it's one of the very few non-native um, amphibians that we can actually. Well, I think it's the only non-native amphibian that we can actually keep in this country as a as a pet. And um and and we we do particularly a practice up in Brisbane. There's a, a large axolotl rescue society uh, that, that we do work for, um, and uh, and uh, we get quite a few up there through there. But we we see quite a few down here as well. And they as I said, they're they're really interesting pets. Um, they um, you got to have a quite specific setup for them. They they like cold water. They like still water. Um, they like it dark. And um, but they're they're really fascinating um and what they're actually the, the from an ecology point of view the, the fascinating thing about them is that they're actually a larva so that, that with amphibians you get your egg they, they turn into what effectively is most people are aware of a frog turning into a tadpole and then that tadpole goes on and turns into the adult frog well in an, amphi- in, in an axolotl point of view they never leave that tadpole stage they never leave that larva stage um and they um, go from the egg to to the larva and they stay there that what they don't transform or metamorphize into a salamander uh, the salamander is the next stage of that um, and interesting there's a few people in australia that have got genetic lines of them that will form into a salamander and i have seen them but they're very rare um, so so an axolotl or mexican walking fish as they're also known are actually a a larval form of an amphibian so um, and it's it's just the, the whole way that that has developed and and that sort of thing is from a science point of view is really really interesting so um and um yeah we we see lots of them they, they're very good at swallowing stones and getting obstructions and things like that so we're always taking rocks out of their bellies and <laughs> they've got very big mouths they can amazing what they can swallow so um and um but as i said the people that own them are very passionate about their their axes as they're called um and um uh they they when they discover that we see them, they're very happy that there's vets out there that have got experience in seeing them and, and treating them. And we've done, uh, you know, we anesthetize them and we do surgery on them and all sorts of things. So, uh, wow. so they're, they're pretty, pretty cool. So mind um, blowing. And then, yeah. And then I guess your, your second question about reptiles and amphibians is are, are they a suitable pet for someone that's living in a, a smaller apartment? The answer is absolutely yes. Um, it's, um, you know, when people, when I talk to people and tell them what I do for a living and they sort of scratch their head and go, well, there's people that actually own snakes. If, you, if you're not actually in that sort of area, people don't appreciate how many people actually have reptiles and amphibians as pets. Um, and, you know, the, that's one of the reasons I have, have like a decent sized collection myself. I've got about 30 to 40 animals, but 
um, you know, the snakes and things are easy. You can go away for two weeks and you don't have to feed them. You don't have to worry about them. Whereas, <laughs> they, you know, they can hibernate too. Yeah, well, basically, yeah, you just you, you feed them before you go and they're fine for a while. So so from a, an actual keeping them and, and uh, husbandry and maintenance side of things, they're, they're actually a very easy animal to keep. You know, it's not to say all reptiles like that. You get certain lizards that, you know, really do need to be fed every sort of day. Um, but they've they certainly got their own personalities. They're, they're, they're different. They're not a dog or a cat. Um, you know, you ask them, you, you can talk to them and do they, do they respond to that sort of stuff. And the answer is, they do to some degree, but people that, that get them, it, it's they're not getting them for, well, in most cases, they're not getting them for like a companionship. It's not like the, the lizard's going to sit on your knee and watch TV with you like the dog does or something like that. But um, they certainly learn to know people, um, whether that's just a food-orientated thing or or that. But, um, you know, they, they certainly do have personalities and you get, you get different, uh, even in my collection at home, I've got some animals that, that are very, I wouldn't say bonded to me, but like I'll come up to the cage and they'll come to the front um, and they'll know who you are and they, they definitely um, respond to human uh, sort of contact and that sort of stuff. But they're, they're a different pet. They're not, they're not for everybody and they're not for um, somebody who wants to cuddle. A, you know, you're not going to cuddle a snake. So we get some clients that do that, but uh, not, oh. not the normal thing to do. I think that'd be pretty cool. I come from far north Queensland. And we actually yep. uh, were quite pleased to have resident carpet snakes. And yes. the reason yep. up there is the other pet we spoke about that James was sexing. Um, yep. That's one of their main food um, food sources is rats. So yes. we'd have yes. a carpet snake in the shed or in the house and we wouldn't move it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and that, that, yeah. So it wasn't unusual for me uh, when I, I went back recently to Queensland to Save the Bilby Foundation, and I was out there with a, a gentleman. He's passed sadly, Peter McRae, and and we found a, a black snake. And so Peter and I were pretty excited. We caught it and grabbed it, and uh, <laughs> we just thought we were so excited to see something like that. It's not something you, yeah. you're able to see every day. You just have to know how to handle them, and probably Correct. next time when I before I get excited and start picking up snakes, I'm probably going to check that I got shoes on because I. Some people, <laughs> some people were actually videotaping it, and I went, and, I went and grabbed the black snake by the tail and let it go, um, about five kilometres away, and uh, the whole time I didn't even realise that uh, I was putting myself at risk. So, with some of these more exotic yeah. species, you've got to be a bit more careful. But I know that you you deal with um, other little warm and furry mammals. I think the rabbits, yeah. your guinea pigs. Ferrets. Um, Ferrets. Yep. Uh, have you got any other unusual animals that are that are mammals uh, that people play with? Uh, we we see a fair number of Australian natives. So things like sugar gliders, for example, so um, cool. they're, they're an uncommon thing that we see. Um, we also we our business deals with a number of uh, wildlife demonstrating companies that sort of go out to schools and. You know, shopping centers and those sort of things and and they generally have quite a, a collection so for example today i know for example there's a a little wally which is a, a little tiny tiny kangaroo marsupial type sort of thing uh, it's in hospital getting x-rays today so um so we we see the, the australian uh, native sort of stuff and you know we get we get quite a bit of wildlife through the clinic even though we're not a wildlife uh, hospital as such but you know we get a lot of possums we get um yeah the occasional kangaroo um you know we've had wombats echidnas uh, koalas, um, 
those sort of things do do come through. Tasmanian Devils, quolls, that's another one, quolls, so Australian native uh, animal there. So, again, most of our demonstrating companies might have a, a, a quoll or two. Um, is that pretty the interesting eastern, animal to do. Uh, yeah, eastern quoll. Eastern spotted quoll, like yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, they're, they're, uh, they're an interesting animal. Um, and um, so we do we do a fair bit of work with those sort of guys, but obviously yeah, the majority of the mammals that we see are the are the rabbits and the guinea pigs. Uh, that's another one uh, we didn't mention. Guinea pigs is a very very popular um, pet. And and they're two options if people don't want a big pet or they've got limited space. Yeah. You could actually have a rabbit and keep it in your apartment, or or a little, or a little um, guinea pig slash hamster. Do we have hamsters yep. in Australia? No, we don't have hamsters. So oh, yeah. Hamsters are exotic to Australia, so we're not allowed to have them or, or um, uh, chinchillas or hedgehogs. They're, they're the okay. other one. Hedgehogs, everybody wants a hedgehog, but they're actually very, they're, they're terrible pets, hedgehogs. So uh, we don't, we're, we're quite thankful we don't have them in the country. So I've heard they're a bit prickly, prickly, prickly to deal with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They're, they're interesting. They don't live very long too, so they're not, they're not, um, they're not a long-lived pet, but Certainly, people in apartments and those sort of things. You know, yeah, as you said, you can have a rabbit uh, that can live quite happily indoors. That they, they can be toilet trained, um, and they do do quite well. Guinea pigs, uh, uh, you sort of can't let them free range in the house. They they don't really get toilet trained. You'll end up with little nuggets everywhere all over the house. So, but you know, they can be relatively confined into a, a decent sized cage that can be kept indoors anyway. Um, yeah, well, rabbits, yeah. you know, rabbit clients have got them free range. Do you have a little shop where your practice is for stuff like that? Yeah, we do. We, mm. We've got a sort of retail area that we sell a lot of the pet foods and, and mm. bird toys and um, reptile lighting and some of the supplements and that sort of stuff. So um, it, it's a, it's only a small part of our business, but we certainly do have some of that available. That's super cool. Especially with the small pets, it's important that people know that you can take them to the doctor uh, like yes. yourself. And also that they're they're quite fun. I've got a rabbit, and being from North Queensland, uh, it wasn't yeah. a pet that uh, we're allowed to have because they get uh, get knocked if they go over the border. But I've got a rabbit yeah. with personality. Now, can you tell me? Is it my imagination? Am I biased, or do rabbits really have their own personality? Oh no, bro. rabbits of all the unusual exotic pets that we do with, I think rabbits are probably the one that is the most. Um, most like a, a dog, if you like, that that um, are that way inclined as far as having personality, really respond to um, ownership, and and um, uh, and you can you know, do get certainly get individuals uh, within that. So they're probably not quite as I guess personable, if that's the right word, as a dog, but they certainly um, they certainly get bonded to to people um, and. Um, uh, yeah, many many people have multiple rabbits, and, and they'll know them, you know, for their personalities or their little traits, or little uh, things that they do that are different from the others. Well, I, I saved Binky as a rescue, so if people are looking for animals, they can grab something like a rabbit from a rescue place. And Correct. Binky doesn't like me at all, uh, but he really likes Jenna, <laughs> <laughs> and he he he, uh, he exhibits that with his teeth. So, yes. so. <laughs> <laughs> no biggie. <laughs> yeah. um, with regards to Australian natives, isn't that amazing that we can actually look outside of the square and have an yeah. animal that's adapted to our conditions and it can exist here with 
a bit of care and with the right instruction, the right food and the right checks. Now, if I was to go out and grab myself a, a blue tongue, how often should yep. I bring my blue tongue in for a check? Uh, so we recommend at least every 12 months. Um, oh, and uh, some of the, like blue tongues is actually quite long lived. They get up to sort of you know, upwards of 20 years. I've had I've had one that's come in that was 24. So they, they're quite older. They can get quite old. So for those sort of animals, um, yeah, a 12 month checkup uh, versus some of the shorter lived species, we'd sort of recommend every six months because everything happens a lot quicker in them. So they get sick a lot quicker. Um, and um uh, we recommend sort of more regular checkups for them. But yeah, to every 12 months, we would recommend a checkup for something like a blue tongue lizard. Yeah, because there's a, there's a significantly smaller investment in getting a license for a native animal and then keeping it a lizard. And would the checkup be around about $100, $200 for, the, for a blue tongue yeah, checkup? Yeah, well, our clinic consult charge is about 100, is 110. Mm-hmm. Um, now, and, um, and I think probably you'd find that most of the, uh exotic vets across the country there's a few of us now would that would probably be about the ballpark obviously there's some slight differences depending on locations and those sort of things um but if you if you were seeing a vet that had a special interest in one of these species and and knew more than the the regular vet about them um you would expect to pay more that that's that's certainly more than what our you know in my small animal clinic we our consult fee is 73 dollars to see a dog but we um for, for the exotic stuff is 110. So we charge more because we take longer with those pets. Um, and uh, there's normally a lot more involved in, in actually discussions with clients about husbandry and how to look after them, that sort of stuff. So, um, but um, yeah, but about 110 is, is what we charge and it's ballpark of what most people would charge out there. That's really good to know that you, you go the extra mile with the people when they've got these unusual pets to educate them and just go into a consult. And I, I really encourage people to go and take their pet for that six month pet checkup or yearly checkup because you can get onto things before they happen as well. Yeah. And, you, and you, you're able to make decisions on what which way to do things. Um, talk. Let's jump on to something that's not a native. And I had a rather unpleasant first meeting with a ferret. I'd always heard about ferrets. And of course, again, you don't need ferrets in Queensland because there wasn't, right. there didn't used to be rabbits. Um, yeah. Now with, with the little ferret, the first one that I met was on Plenty Road in Preston. Yep. And I saw him, I didn't know what this little thing was in the gutter. And I was quite, <laughs> I, was, I was sort of like shocked and I didn't know what it was. And I saw it's a big, long sort of, at first I thought it was a snake, then I thought it's a hairy snake. Then I realized it was some sort of a weasel or a stoat or a ferret, I didn't know yep. what it was. I went and said, what are you doing, little fella? And he looked up at me with his beautiful little eyes. Then he got his, do you know how sharp t- ferrets teeth are? He looked up oh, yeah. at me with those little <laughs> eyes. He looked it down on my toe and sniffed my toe. And I thought, oh, he's friendly. He looked up at me and then he bit my toe and yep. he didn't want to let it go. Oh my goodness, that was that was interesting. I didn't hurt him. I called the ranger. I asked the ranger to come and pick up the ferret after I finished crying. And um, that's that's my only knowledge of ferrets. Can you yeah. tell me about good ferret? Can you give me good ferret stories? Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, uh, the, your your experience with ferret is pretty common. Uh, oh. <laughs> okay, people was, don't get a ferret. When I was a student, you have to go and do rotations, and I still remember as a student going out to a clinic, and I was in the consult room with the old vet, and he filled up the sink with water, put the plug in, and filled the sink up. 
I said, what do you want the sink for? He says, when it latches onto my finger and doesn't let go, I can put my hand into the, the basin and, and make it go. And, um, and you know, we, we did the consult and thankfully we survived, fingers intact. But uh, I still remember that conversation. It was one of those old wily vets that just, you know, full of useful information. But so he, he filled up the, the, uh, the sink, put the plug in the sink and filled up the water so that when it bit him, yep. he put his whole hand in the water. Oh. And, and let go. So he, so, uh, uh, yeah. And I've, I've never had to do that. Yeah, but I've, I've certainly had, I've had ferrets sort of walked around the bench. Uh, the owner will put them on one side of the bench, and the ferret will walk around the bench, come around my side of the, the counter, and try and bite. So they, they're, they're, they're interesting animals. But, uh, and they, they've got very sharp teeth, and and um, they really like to nibble. So, you know, so we certainly get ferrets like that. We also get some very nice ferrets that handle really easily and. Um, really, that's that's a testament to the owner having them and having them young and um, handling them and getting used to being handled when they're young. Uh, they make much much more pleasant animals as they as they get older. Um, but certainly, you know, I've we've got a number of clients that have um, ferrets that they use for rabbiting, like that what they were bred for to go out and, and catch rabbits. And those those animals get handled very um, not very often, and they're they're an interesting beast. Um, you have to be a bit careful with those. Mm -hmm. um so we, we we have either thick gloves or thick towels and um and you have to be quick uh, because they're very quick little animal <laughs> isn't that funny and and speaking yeah. of uh filling up sinks with water uh just in case you have to use a rather clever technique to stop the ferret from biting so he decides mm, i need some oxygen and he lets go it probably doesn't work <laughs> with one of your other specialties that well which is fish <laughs> so yes yeah fish a fish yeah. vet what does a fish vet do yeah. how do you consult with uh, the fish <laughs> fish fish uh fish are interesting in that um we, we actually see quite a number of fish and the when someone calls us to ask if we see fish and we say yes they're nine times out of ten they're extremely surprised there's actually vets out there that that um uh interested in seeing fish and um then, then the next question inevitably is, well, how do I get the fish to you? And and you know they or they expect you to go out and have a look at their setup and their tank at home, those sort of things. But mm -hmm. um, you know, nine times out of ten, we we get them to put in a, a plastic bag or a, or a bucket and, and and bring them in. Mm. And um, what what then surprises most people is that we can actually do things with fish. There that um, you know we've we've we can do diagnostic tests such as. Um, skin scrapings and samples from their lung from their um, gills and um, and fecal sampling and that sort of stuff so we can actually do some diagnostics um, x-rays ultrasound to to work out what is wrong with them and and a lot of the time we can actually we treat them and um, fish fish people often have tried a lot of things they've got they're, they're probably the number one googler they get on google and see what what's wrong with my fish and they'll try all sorts of things in the water and Inevitably, it's a couple of months later. They think, "Oh, maybe I should take it to the vet," and so they bring it in, and um, so they, they bring it in. It's already had medications and all sorts of things. So, um, but but we we do we do see them, and there are some. You know, we've done some surgeries, lump removals, eye removals, that sort of stuff. And in fact, uh, in the next coming days, we we do some work for Melbourne Aquarium. So I'm actually going to the aquarium to ultrasound sex some fish for them. Uh, it's a a uh, little little research project, I guess, of theirs, and they need some help. And I'm actually fairly experienced at ultrasound work, so I'm, I'm taking our ultrasound machine. And we're going to do some ultrasound fish on fish to determine whether they're male or female, and help them with their breeding colony of these these fish. So 
Um, so that, that, it's, yeah, it's an area, I, I actually really enjoy the fish. I think um, um, fish people are also very dedicated though. Once, once they find someone who's willing to see fish, they, they latch onto you and, and um, will, will ask your advice. And, and, um, uh, and, and it goes back to like, again, when I was a kid, I had fish. So I used to have big fish tanks and that sort of stuff. So I think it's important that you have some sort of level of experience of having owned these animals before. So, um, so of all, of all the animals that, that I see, I think the only one that I've never had and kept personally is, is actually a ferret. So yeah, <laughs> everything else I, I've had at some point. Okay, I'll be warned. Be warned, listeners. Ferrets, they've got their advantages <laughs> and they've got their teeth. <laughs> and maybe it's advantageous, but not, yeah. not if they don't like they're, you. They're, yeah, they're yeah. very funny animals to watch. They've got, yeah, yeah, yeah. personality-wise, they're absolute crackers. Yeah. Um, but you have to be prepared to be nipped a few times and get that training in and get them handling uh, well. Look, I'm happy not to do that. Um, with Just going back to fish, <laughs> let's leave ferrets aside. Going back to fish, yeah. uh, I, my friends, when I was in high school, had a Oscar. I'm not yep. sure if that's a common term. It probably yep. is. So an Oscar, which is quite a large fish. It was quite, pretty big. They had it in a, a substantial tank. It would have been about a meter and a half long and probably 70 centimeters high and probably about 60 deep. So it was, yep. so it was a fair size. Is that big enough room to keep a fish like that in? Yeah, yeah. so Oscars uh, are one of the bigger um, sort of fish that, that we see. And they're actually one of the more popular fish that we see because um, Oscars tend to be kept on their own or with another one. So you're not, you're not dealing with a whole tank of fish. You're normally just dealing with one Oscar. So people get very attached to it. And some of these fish will get to a good 30 to 40 centimetres in length. So so tank that size you're describing there probably is a little small for a full-grown adult Oscar. Um, but you know, an animal that, that size would be a decent age. Uh, you're in, into the, the 20s to 30s uh, for that sort of thing. But... Um, you know, for the majority of that animal's life, uh, that that tank size would be would be suitable. That's quite a big tank, um, uh, quite a big water volume there. So, uh, I wouldn't have a problem keeping that animal in that. So, the story from that, the lesson we can learn for us lay people, is that if you go and have a talk to a vet, if you're not sure, uh, just before you buy a fish, what size tank you got to keep it in, because my friend's fish lived for 18 years before it yeah. got sick. I can't recall what caused it being sick. So it was a pretty yeah. big pretty big fish and it did have a personality. Um, yep. And, and it, it sort of liked some people and you could tell. Yeah. And then it really <laughs> didn't like other people, whether they had fish uh, food for it or not. It was, it's kind of interesting to watch the animals. And, yeah. and the, other, the other thing that you specialize in is birds. And I'm, I'm guessing some are native. I know that there's yep. good pets for kids and there's pets that aren't great for kids. Also, I, I happen to know that birds can live a while uh, for some of our cockatoos, etc. Can you tell Correct. us a bit about that, please, Shane? Yeah. Yeah, so we pretty much um, have, as you say, non-native and native um, pets and uh, birds. And so you know, things like the native ones, like the cockatoos, cockatiels, budgies, um, galahs, um they're quite popular. Um, we, we've got quite a number of the sulfur crested cockatoo, so the classic white cockatoo with the yellow yellow crest. Um, now, we've got one that comes to us uh, at our clinic that I think is about 78, 90, 78 79 years old. So you know, it's been in their family 
for as long as anybody can remember. Um, and, um, you know, even just this week, we've had two in that I know were definitely over 50. So so they're, they're quite a long-lived animal and they're something that actually gets passed down from grandparents to grandchildren in some cases. Um, and so they take a lot of commitment um, to, to keep them. So, um, you know, whereas something like a, a budgie, you know, they'll get up to sort of nine to 12 years of age. So they're still a relatively long-lived little bird, but... Um, yeah, so that, they're the native sort of ones. And then we've got all the non-native parrots, uh, for example, things like um, macaws, um, Amazon parrots, African greys, uh, conures. I, I have a little green-cheeked conure myself. Um, yeah, so there's, there's those sort of birds. And then even smaller down from there than other non-native things like canaries, uh, for example. They're not a native species to Australia, but still very popular. And um, and we see those um, as, as pets as well. So... Um, so there's quite quite a big range. You sort of go from the the big um, green, and, uh, the yellow and gold macaws, right down to some of the little finches. You know, there's mm. huge differences in the sizes and, and the size. And then, and particularly at the moment with the way COVID is and people being at home, the absolute boom in backyard chickens. Um, you know, the, the oh. number one bird we would see in practice is chickens. Oh, um, you know, and, that, and that has just gone nuts with COVID. Everybody wants backyard chickens and wants the, their own eggs and be a bit more self-sustainable, that sort of stuff. So we, we, we have so many chickens coming in at the moment. It's, it's, it's crazy. That, that would you know, be by far the most common bird that we see at the moment. So, um, and, they're, and they're a whole different ballgame because you're not only dealing with the pet side of things, mm. and people certainly have pet chickens, but you're also now dealing with a food producing animal and that that has a lot of repercussions as far as medications that you use and the food chain and right. and all that sort of stuff so it, it, uh, and and flock health you know most people don't just have one chicken they'll have mm. five six ten twenty chickens um and so you're not only just dealing with one animal when it's sick you're actually dealing with the, the flock as well so uh, yeah, the, you know, that, so that, that's, that's an interesting that's so that's so uh critical to point out that the chickens or hens poultry they're often not yep. just loners they're better better off with a couple of friends and Absolutely. best to check with your local council how many you should have uh, yep. <laughs> again that's that's my specialty um yep. <laughs> usually you'll find the council's vary somewhere between five and ten uh easy yes. to find out with a phone call and yep. easy to find out how to keep them because the husbandry yep. of a chicken because they're not the cleanest animal, but they're not dirty if you do yep. it correctly. And also, yep. again, we're coming back to a common theme. See if you can make mates with a, with a vet or go and pay for a short consult before you go and get chickens because yep. chickens have got special requirements uh, to help them have uh, a good, uh, good healthy digestion, which is unusual for other animals. Uh, so yep. they've got a thing called a crop and yes. you have to make sure that the the whole chicken is looked after. So if you're looking at a different pet, which I think is marvelous, people can look at chickens for pets and get eggs and teach the kids yep. how to make omelette. Uh, yep. It's a wonderful idea, but just make sure that you talk to somebody who knows about the medical health and the specific genetics and makeup of the chicken. Can you just tell us a bit from a, a professional point of view, not from a chicken farmer's point of view, uh, yeah. what those things are I was talking about. Yeah, so I think, firstly, you make a very valid point about before you get any of these animals is actually finding a vet um, that deals with these. And it doesn't matter whether it's a chicken, bird, fish, whatever. 
is that you should you should already have that contact in your phone and listed before you actually need one of us. Um, because when an emergency happens, the last thing you want to be doing is trying to find us. So have that in place. But specifically with the with the chickens um, side of things, you know, the, there's there's quite a lot of husbandry that if you don't get that right, um, there's a problem. And um, you know, the the chickens that are predominantly coming into people's backyards and that sort of stuff now, yeah, you know, there's a lot of rescue groups that are taking ex-battery hens, for example, and um, these animals are coming in as pets and they're being looked after as pets and and um kind of, you know, to, to coin the phrase rule the roost they do they they mm. um you know, they, they wander the backyard and, and they're very good because they keep again the bugs and everything down and uh, that sort of stuff but you you do have to have things set up properly the the feed requirements for them is important um you know where they're roosting at night um, is important um probably the big one is making sure that they're safe from foxes um we get quite a number with fox attacks um, and dog attacks, but predominantly fox attacks. And so having having a safe uh, coop area that, that they can retire to of a night and having and then having that coop set up so that these animals can actually roost properly and, and or if they're, if they're laying, have a nesting area that they can that they um, can nest properly into. And then the other the other one which I think sometimes people kind of don't consider is the effort and the requirements of actually the maintenance of the of these areas. And so, um, you know, some people go out and build these Taj Mahals of chicken coops, that sort of stuff, but they're really difficult to keep clean or if they have a mite problem, it's really difficult to get the mites in there, out of there. So, um, you know, making it so that it's actually practical. Um, and these are all things you need to think about before you get the animals um, and, um, and doing your research to, to make sure that you've, you, you know what you're doing to some extent. A lot of it's you know, a little bit trial and error and, and you learn by experience, that sort of stuff. But there are some good basic facts and things that you need to need to follow. And you know, diet for chickens is a big one. It depends if you're going to be keeping them as laying animals. You know, they're going to need a lot higher nutrition plane because they're putting a lot of effort into producing eggs. Um, and um, and how you actually feed them and what you feed them um, is, is really important. So... Um, and they should all be things that you consider before you actually go and get these animals um, and do your research first. It's important that you get them sexed correctly and you don't just take a chicken from the school because somebody says the chicken's going to get tapped because um, yeah. if, it, if, it, if you don't take it. The reason I say this is because, again, it just gives my colleagues and myself just too much um, angst and we upset people telling them they have to get rid of a rooster and during yep. the lockdown, not only has our hair grown grown long, Shane, we've also yep. got we've also got the roosters crowing, which were chickens, and now they're roo they're roosters, and people can't get rid of them, and it's a sad story. Yeah. So many tears yep. over roosters. Yeah. Um, the yeah. other thing that uh, I'd like to to touch on is the other animal you spoke about was a sugar glider, Aussie pets, native yep. Aussie pets. And people have got some uh, tree kangaroos. I helped a zoologist study them for a while as a kid up in Yungaburra in far north Queensland. Um, there's sugar gliders. There's that awesome little animal that looks like it's smiling. It's actually on my um, on my podcast cover, the quokka. Okay. Yep. <laughs> the quokkas, when they they look at you, they look like they're just so happy. Either They're either stoned or happy, one of the two. Um, and... <laughs> Both. And, yeah, probably both. It might be both. <laughs> in lockdown, you're right. So <laughs> these are the animals that we can keep in Victoria. Uh, you, you may have to get a permit to keep them and get them from a... Correct. 
place, particular place. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, what what animals we can keep in terms of exotics, like a marsupial? Each each state, and and we're talking we're talking specifically about Victoria, has a list of licensed species, and um, you can just go to the Department of Environment, Land, Water, and Planning, um, and just type in wildlife license, and you can get a document that actually lists all the different species of birds, mammals, reptiles um, that you're allowed to keep with uh, without a license, and also with a license, and there's different types of license, basic and versus advanced and those sort of things. And so, um, and um, most Australian native animals are on that list. So there are some little twists, like things like blue tongue lizards, for example, you don't need a list uh, license to own, but like something like a bearded dragon you do. Um, with the sugar gliders, I'm 99% sure you need a license uh, for those uh, as well, because they're, they're actually quite difficult animals to keep. They're not you don't just go out and get a, a sugar glider as a pet. Yeah, there's quite a bit of work involved in them. So um, even things like eastern grey kangaroos and those sort of things come under the licensing laws as far as what you're allowed to keep and what you can't. So whenever anybody's looking at a an exotic um, pet, as when, I, when I say exotic, I'm talking a non-dog and cat one, but, but an Australian native, it's vital that you um, look at the licensing requirements from for that animal and in also saying that is you won't be able to purchase one of those from someone unless you've got a license because there's a, a tracking system where someone has to, if, you sell, if, you, if you're selling those, you've got to keep a, a logbook of, of that sort of information. And so, and the government's departments do check up on that sort of stuff. And so you need to make sure your license is, you've got the right type of license and that it's actually um, valid and, and approved for that particular type of animal that you're after. And the actual license is is not very much. Uh, I think some of the licenses I've seen are from thirty five dollars to about hundred bucks or something in that. Correct. In that yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not, they're not a super expensive sort of thing to have, and and some people would argue that they're too cheap, and other people would argue that they're actually too easy to get. So, um, you know, it's really just a case of filling in some paperwork, paying your money, and then suddenly you've got a license to be able to keep something. Um, yeah, but. There's, there's pros and cons for that. Um, you know, I think it's a good it's a good system in that it stops people impulse buying. They can't just walk into a pet store and and buy a snake. Um, you have to go through that licensing process, and and you know, I, I'm sure that having to go through that has stopped many people from getting those sort of animals that shouldn't necessarily have got them in the first place. And so, um, you know, there, I think it's a good stop the gap measure. Is it is it good enough? Um, some people would argue no you need to you should be doing husbandry course before you can go and get a sugar glider for example and and um yeah i think there's probably a happy medium somewhere in the middle there of, of um, where that could could sit so but at least we've got something you know many many countries like i've got a lot of colleagues in the us where you can pretty much own anything um with no licensing and that sort of stuff and and i think that's the wrong way to go about it i think our system here in australia is is while yes it has some faults i think is still very good yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. And, and part of some of the licenses is, is to have a short test, which is a basic husbandry yep. sort of requirement. So you, at least you open your eyes that, oh, I've got to actually do something and be Correct. something. Is that, is that a yearly license? Yes, it's yearly in most cases. I think in some of the aspects and some of the types of licenses, I think you can also get a three-year license. But the sort of standard mm. private wildlife licenses are, are yearly and, and they're normally... Uh, normally, I'm going to say in the last couple of weeks, actually, I think they were all probably due um, to to be um, repaid. And and each year you have to put in a 
a, a log of what you've actually got in your collection. So it's normally at the end of April or start of April um, that you've, you've got to fill in a form to send in that actually tells you what, um, what or t tells the department what animals you've got in, in your collection or what you're keeping at the time. So similar to pet licensing for cats and dogs. The, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. So the, the, the key point here is, again, that uh, there's a system out there that if you, if you think a dog may not be, and dogs are often not appropriate for small apartments, if you've got a, if you've got a Greyhound or a Great Dane or a Rottweiler or an Amstaff, if you've got a one-bedroom apartment, set another animal up for success. You can go out and look at getting a, a little bird or a rabbit or a reptile. Um, guinea yeah. pig's probably a little bit smelly for inside a house, but uh, and so is a ferret. The, the ferrets, um, the male ones, do they have a really strong odor if they're not de Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Fer ferrets do have an increased smell. They have um, quite pungent scent glands in their skin, mm -hmm. and um, they 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 do have a smell. Particularly the non-desex males. I don't know how people can live in a house with a non-desex male ferret. Um, it's it's quite musky. Mm. <laughs> so, well, uh, so we we routinely desex them. So. I've been to a few houses where people would have no problem living with a slightly musky smell, but have, but with um, speaking of slightly musky and not not necessarily a musk rat, but a rat or a mouse, they're uh, quite unique little pets in that they're well they're warm blooded and they can be affectionate, and they're they're not that high maintenance, but they've got a few things that can go wrong with them. Is that a good first pet for a kid? They're not going to squash a rat if they pick it yeah. up and play with it, or. Um, yeah, and of the two, definitely a rat. Rats are excellent pets. Um, they are small. They're easy to keep. Um, they're cheap to get. They're cheap to keep. Um, you know, they, yes, they do get some problems health-wise, but um, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're an excellent first pet, um, and we get lot, we see lots of rats, um, and um, People get again get very attached to their rats, and they'll often have multiple rats. Uh, we've got some clients who've got eight to, to fifteen rats, and um, they're very clean, um, and they really do do make a very good pet. So, you know, if, if starting out, if, if you know people have a choice between a, a rat, a guinea pig, or a rabbit, I would recommend a rat um, as the first one, definitely um, you know, ahead of the other two. Hey, let's have a bit of fun, Shane. Uh, I know that you've got eight. Uh categories for different pets on your uh, the unusual pet vets website which is under <laughs> species we treat yep. there's eight rabbits oh. there's rabbits birds reptiles guinea pigs ferrets rats amphibians and fish can you give me a rating this is this is dr shane's unusual Ooh. pet vets rating for these animals being suitable for somebody who's never had a pet before okay so we'll, we'll start from one okay. to ten rabbit so out of a score, out of ten, is out, that what we're out of ten, for? and maybe or, the overriding factor for that. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So rabbit, I would put them at probably a seven, okay. and um, people just need to be aware they do take quite a lot of work. They eat a lot, so yes. be prepared to feed a lot. Yeah. yeah. So, but, but they're a good pet. Yeah. My my rabbit probably cost me, you know, not much, maybe fifteen bucks a week, but they eat a lot of hay, a lot of hay. Um, Okay, yes. on the unusual pet vets ranking of animals, birds, native birds. Native birds. Uh, this one's a little bit harder because it depends really on the species. If you go through something like a cockatoo, a cockatoo, for example, is that's an experience keeping bird. So that that one I'd actually put down at you know from a 
from a new pet owner, I'd probably put that as a two or three. That's a different Ooh. ball game. Be Whereas up the other end of the scale, something like a cockatiel, yeah, a cockatiel or a budgie, up the other end there, I'd probably put them at a, a probably about a, a seven. Um, they're they're a little bit uh, they're they're an easier animal to keep. You know, you've you've got in a cockatiel, you've got something that can literally do some serious damage with a bite. And and mm. um, you know, I've heard of people talking about cockatoos and some of the big parrots as like having a toddler, and that's that's true. Um, they take a lot of work. They get very bonded to people. So. You have to be an experienced bird owner to have something like that, um, and certainly not a not not a new owner pet by any stretch of imagination. And they get jealous um, as well. Some yep. of those birds. So we're we're yep. looking at yep. a we're looking at a two out of ten for cockatoos, uh, which yep. can live up to 50, 60 odd years. And yeah, we've even, got even longer, hundred years. Hundred, okay, nearly yep. my age. And we've got at the other end of the birds, uh, native birds, you've got budgies and cockatiels. Cockatiels, which any of the finches. Came in at eight, was it? Was that an eight? Yep. Well, seven, a, seven. Seven, seven, seven. okay. Um, leaping across to lovely lizards, say that fast yeah. three times. Yeah. Reptiles, what would you give reptiles? Reptiles, so, yeah, so I'm, I'm very biased because I'm, I'm actually a reptile. So uh, absolute uh, 11 out of 10 for these guys. So. Oh, big call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a bit cool. no, but in all in all seriousness, they're they're probably one of the easier pets to to have because um, if you get your setup right, your husband will be right. Um, you know, many of these animals are, are bomb proof. They're very easy to keep. They don't need a lot of maintenance. You know, snakes particularly. Um, you know, they they can get away with with um, what what's the term? Not not neglect, but um, uh, forgetfulness. You can. You can Forgetfulness. Forgetfulness, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, and so you can get away with that. So I, I'd actually put, as far as for a new pet owner, I'd put reptiles uh, probably in about an eight or a nine. Reptiles at eight or a nine? You just dropped two points yeah. to nine. Okay. So what that means is that before you get your reptile, if you know what you're doing, you're going to get an 11 out of 10 for reptiles. But if you haven't had a Correct. reptile before, Correct. go and get a... 20-minute consult for 100 bucks at the vets. <laughs> I'm underselling you there, probably, but um, make sure you got to <laughs> make sure you got a vet who you can take your sick pet to if, God forbid, they get sick. And a reptile could be an Aussie pet uh, success story. Yeah. Guinea yeah. pigs. Yeah, uh, so guinea pigs is probably a little bit um, easier to look after than the rabbits um, in, in an apartment. But- in an apartment type sort of scenario, You've, again, you just have to get the caging right and that sort of stuff. Um, they're, they're probably not quite as personal. Well, well I'm, I'll get in trouble from the guinea pig owners on that one. Um, that they, they, They're quite cute little critters and they do quite well. So I'd probably put them I'd probably put them same as, as a rabbit. I think we, what did we put a rabbit at about an eight, I think that was. I so, think rabbits were seven um, or eight, yeah. Guinea- so they're a good first yeah, choice. I'd put them at so yeah, you, yeah. The, the, the only... The only proviso I would put actually, and I'd, and I'd put this on the rabbits as well, is that we get lots of these animals that are purchased by parents for their children, mm. and um, rabbits and guinea pigs are not necessarily the best choice for children, um, particularly young children. We do see them where they're getting drops and broken legs and, and those sort of things. So, mm. um, so I think I think depending on your how your your family situation, uh, also 
you need to take that into consideration as well because you know they, these are prey animals they don't necessarily like people coming down over the top of them and picking them up particularly guinea pigs and so if you've got a little kid trying to chase a guinea pig around um, the guinea pig doesn't like that um, that stress and that's that's not particularly a good thing so so I think it, it I think it would depend on your family dynamics and situation as well I think we'll just give ferrets a, a two out of ten and move on. Or is that a bit is that a bit harsh? <laughs> let's let's listen to Doctor. Oh, Shane. probably a bit harsh. I'd, I'd probably yeah. maybe I put them at probably about a four or a five. Okay, um, okay. Yeah. They, they are good little pets, but um, uh, as long as you know what you're getting yourself into, I think is the way to describe a ferret. And if you go up to a ferret, make sure you got leather shoes on. And if you don't know it, <laughs> just leave it alone. Um, <laughs> enough said. Um, Rats, they got a big rap from you before. Rats and mice. Yes. Yeah, I, I would I would put a rat up at around an eight or a nine. They make an excellent first pet. Mice are a little less than that. I'd probably put them down at about a six or a seven. Um, they're not, um, they're probably not as personable as a rat. They also tend to be a bit more smelly. Um, and, um, but they're still, they're still quite inquisitive little pets. Um, again, if you're in an apartment and looking for something smaller, then obviously a, a mouse is a, is a good choice. But um, I, I, I would suggest a rat is a much better pet than a mouse. Uh, <laughs> speaking of traps, amphibians, you've got to keep them in little place, yeah. uh, like axolotls, etc. Yeah, so, yeah, so the old, the frogs and, and um, they, these guys, you need to get your setup right. Um, but, and they're also obviously not a pet that are designed to be handled. They're a, a look at me type sort of animal sit in the, in the enclosure and, you know, and, and I've, I've got several species of frog myself at home. Um, and um, they make, they make excellent pets and, and you can do some pretty amazing things with their enclosures to make them really part of the furniture and part of the house uh, type sort of scenario. So, um, so I, I would, as far as a first pet goes, something like a, a green tree frog is actually a, a quite mm -hmm. a good, um, uh, pet and I'd, I'd put that at probably about an eight uh, for those guys. So, yeah, some of the some of the more well, not, not sort of rarer, but some of the less commonly kept species of frogs can be a little bit extra work involved in, them and you got to get the setups and that sort of thing. But the, the good old common green tree frog is quite a robust animal and, and um, do quite well in captivity. So, very easy to feed, very easy to keep. Um, and so, yeah, I'd, I'd put them at an eight. So the amphibians have come out of the gates at an eight. That's pretty good. And amphibians yeah. are good for kids too because they can just look at them if they're set up and they're, they're, uh, they're a great little pet. Correct, yeah. yeah. They're, they're like the hand, they're yeah. like the and Gucci. They're, and they're just good looking animals. Yeah, they're like the yeah. Gucci or the Coco <laughs> Chanel or the, you know, the, the Tommy Hilfiger or Burberry of the pet world. Um, yeah. Now, speaking of yeah. Burberry and, and handbags, fish. <laughs> where are we going to put fish? <laughs> fish. Um, look, fish are interesting. Again, it depends a little bit on the species that you go. I think probably the big thing with fish is that there's a fair bit of expense involved in the setup. You've got to get the tank, your filtration, heating, all that sort of stuff. You get all that sort of sorted. And, you know, when we're talking fish, you can go things like goldfish. You know, they're almost bomb-proof, um, very easy to keep, um, you know, right through to the other nth degree, which is your marine fish, your salt waters and your corals and those sort of things. Yeah, that that's an experience keeper. So, um, you know, for your saltwater fish types scenario, that that's really you're down one or two as a as a beginner. 
that's you need to be have kept have kept fish before before you jump to that point because you will kill everything i'll guarantee it so um and so i you know for the goldfish and some of the freshwater species i'd, I'd put them at, at around a five or a six um mm -hmm. again you got to get spend the money get the setups right get good filtration learn about your water quality and how that all works um and you can you can set up some amazing amazing setups for for, for fish yeah i think that uh Fish can be good fun, but you do have to look after them. Guppies, we had guppies in Queensland. Yeah. And if you get it yeah. right, they're, they're wonderful. If you get it wrong, it's pretty heartbreaking. And uh, yeah. look, we, we could talk all day, I feel, but we better, we better uh, think about winding up at this point in time. I want to tell okay. people about a, a few more things about you. Uh, you've got your uh, packages for people which are starting out. So they come and do a quick consult with you, then they go and get their pet. It's best to do Correct. the consult first, then get your pet. Before yeah. you get your pet, make sure you got the right advice on shelter and how to keep it. Then get down to the unusual pet vet, so you could probably buy it online, I suppose. Um, you can yeah. get your, your fly start packages for birds. You can get packages for chickens, ferrets, guinea pigs, rabbits, and rats. They're all unique. Right. So it, it's wonderful to have a Aussie pet and to listen to the Aussie Pets podcast. Take really sound advice from people like my good friend, the doctor here, and his colleagues. It's going to set you up for success. It's going to make the world a better place. Thank you very much. Is there, is there anything else you wanted to add before we, we sign off? Yeah, no, that, that's pretty much what, what you mentioned just at the end there is our, our hop start packages and fly start packages. And we're, we're always developing new ones. We've got some new ones coming out for reptiles. Our, our scale start and paddle start, the, the mm -hmm. lizards and turtles are coming out soon. So we're Pretty just putting cool. the final touches on some marketing material for that sort of stuff. But they're all designed for people that are first time pet owners for those sort of things that, you know, we set people up. So this, this is what you need at the start to have um, the best success possible and, um, and hope, and, and they're very popular. People, you know, take them up quite, quite a lot. So, um, oh, that's, so we that's must brilliant. be doing right. At, well, look, you're doing a lot right, doctor. Um, Dr. Shane, you, you're an awesome person. Uh, I love your, um, your love for animals. And I'm really curious about all your reptiles. Cause I just, my heart starts racing when I think of the excitement you can get with reptiles. We've we've got those packages. We're going to have to put all this at the back of the podcast. So I'll get yeah. I'll get the I'll get our, our good vet from the unusual pet vets down in Frankston. Correct. Yes. Yep. To um to actually give me a whole uh, list of what he'd like to put on there, and you can just go and click the link to follow it. So after you listen to the podcast, there'll be a lot of information there. Let's let's get out there. Let's get serious. Set our pets up for success. And don't forget, I'll see you later.